right. Greetings and happy Tuesday. This is the Desiree Show, First Downs and Flip Tricks on Dash Radio. It is the second day of October. Four weeks of football are in the books. Rams and Kansas City Chiefs are the only undefeated teams remaining. And I'm thinking about that game in Mexico, which is coming up uh, in November. But wow, what a game that's going to be. And what a game last night was. Monday Night Football did not disappoint. Patrick Mahomes, oh my God, the kid is special. Poised. Got unfazed by the pressure um, and the big stage, uh, and then obviously his athletic ability. And then he's so young; um, it's it's just really rad to see him uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs do so well. Um, this was uh, another AFC West uh, matchup, and I'm excited. Today we've got one. We're actually this Sunday we have one coming up at StubHub. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers will host the Oakland Raiders. Another AFC West match off um and i've got michael gelkin coming up shortly now quick updates on beat the outsiders this is the weekly nfl pick em. it's all by skateboarders there's a lot of smack talk and a lot of opinions but i did want to give a big shout out to uh, corbin harris with 12 wins this week and sergey still remains in the number one spot with jeff Ament and packy tied for second jt and dan rogers are tied for fourth and we're not going to talk about how i'm doing this is i had a really really bad week a few weeks ago uh, and so it kind of dropped me, but I'm still I'm still within range. So uh, I'm going to fight back. Anyways, a full show coming soon for you guys, so stay tuned. And then obviously, I want to also remind you of the ITL, Inside the Locker Room with the Chargers. This is my weekly special on the Desiree Show for Dash Radio. And that is uh, sort of a, a raw, quick, quick hits with some of these Charger players. And for you guys to get to know some of these guys uh, in a different manner. Some X's and O's, some matchup stuff, some high school stuff. Um... Some special things these kids are doing and some special stories. They're just real quick hits, but it's a really kind of a cool opportunity for you guys to get a little bit of inside information or behind the scenes and get to know some of these players. Um, and so I invite you guys, if you haven't listened in, uh, they're up on the iTunes now if you missed last week's show. But now, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm super excited to welcome, uh, and we'll let this song uh, All right. Okay. I'm super excited to welcome back Raider beat reporter for the Las Vegas Review Journal and a former UT San Diego beat reporter for the San Diego Chargers. So he's got a lot of insight and uh, just really huge, huge thanks uh, to Michael Gelkin uh, for joining us today. Hi, Michael. Hi, Desiree. How are you doing? I'm good. We were. I was trying to have a little ice cube there for you, a little intro <laughs> of Raider Nation. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now you, um, well, first of all, did you watch that game last night? I did not actually. I was uh, making dinner, and I don't really watch too much TV, including sports. I usually try to get away from it a little bit. I try, you know, maybe rewatch some of the relevant plays later, look at some of the statistics. But otherwise, um, probably surprisingly, given it was two ASUF teams, I did not watch. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. No, and that was my. That was actually another question. Is as a beat reporter, you are covering the team on a daily basis. Uh, on a probably pretty much a 24-hour basis, um, depending on how you have it balanced in your life, and if you did watch any other football, but you don't watch any TV. Yeah, I try not to. Um, one of the advice, this is the advice I got early when I first joined the San Diego Union Tribune in, gosh, 2012, I believe, was don't, when you're away from your sport, 
really try to unplug, you know, go for a run, do a hobby, just don't spend each waking hour consuming football if you can help it. And obviously there are times where you need to know what's going on elsewhere. You don't want to cover your team uh, from a vacuum. You know, you don't want to have a parochial viewpoint of what's happening with the team that you're covering. It's good to have some perspective, uh, but when the option is to kind of unplug a little bit and relax, um, you know, spend time with loved ones or watch football in your living room or in your what have you, you know, you can, I mean, you, if you want to, you can spend all day watching film, um, you know, choose, choose the former, uh, you know, t- take, take a breath and, and get away from it a little bit. Okay. And what, how do you do that? Uh, last night I was, my girlfriend and I made dinner and just kind of hung out. Um, sometimes it can be, you know, playing tennis. Sometimes my sister lives about a mile away from me here in Oakland. So I spend time with her and her husband. I just got married a few weeks ago. And so, um, just you know, spend time with people close to you and do things that make you happy. Right on, right on. Now, uh, congratulations! You had a victory Monday, the first one of the season for the Raiders, and uh, John Gruden's first win in almost ten years. Uh, what was Monday like? What was yesterday like for you, covering this team who just won? You know, it wasn't. It didn't feel in the locker room ton different maybe than it had been and I think that more than anything is a reflection of the maturity inside the Raiders locker room. Nothing wrong. People in the building are happy to be uh, winners you know, this past Sunday. You know, they much prefer that feeling on Monday morning after a win than after a loss which uh, that feeling of, uh, of a loss was something the Raiders felt three straight times to open their season before uh, improving a one and three on Sunday. But even when the season wasn't going as, as well as the Raiders hoped and this season very well still could not, you know, there's a lot of football left. Uh, you know, you're not around the, you know, you don't uh, turn a corner overnight in this league when you start 0 three, but I, you just saw in that locker room, veterans not panicking, understanding the season that was still out in front of them. And so I never felt like this dooming gloom type of atmosphere when they were one three. And so at one and three, there wasn't this, marked shifts in terms of the air feeling uh, you know, far less heavy than before just because that air wasn't heavy to begin with. All right. Well, that's kind of nice to hear. Okay. And I'm, if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Michael Gelkin. You can follow him on Twitter at Gelkin NFL. Um, now, two other questions for you is, first of all, you have been, uh, you, you, you've been there. This is your second season covering the team. You have a new coach as well. Um, something that you were also comfortable, you know, that you experienced when you were in San Diego with new coaches. But what is the difference between the Jack DR, you know, Jack Del Rio run Raiders versus the John Gruden Raiders? A lot. <laughs> They're, um, and I say this as a beat reporter, and I can only, you know, you can't really have opinions, but it's more analysis. It's based on observations, it's based on conversations. I say the Raiders are better coached. Uh, they, have more there's a togetherness a shared vision among coaches they know exactly what they're trying to accomplish at times there seem to be a lot of toe stepping going on behind the scenes where one coach is trying to do something and maybe jack del rio intervenes or off you know a different position coach intervenes and it just became a bit of a muddled mess that permeated the building and at times 
became certainly late in the season became toxic. Now, when you have high expectations and you finish well short of them, as the Raiders did last year in a six and ten campaign, can some toxicity be expected? And is it even understandable? Yes, but I think it reached a point where it was certainly concerning. And here under John Gruden in this very early stage, it's been talking about a breath of fresh air. Breath of fresh air. It certainly has been that. So uh, I think beyond just the behind closed doors feeling of the operation, uh, when you look at what the Raiders are doing conceptually, offensively, they're far more advanced. There's a lot more window dressing, even if some of the concepts may be similar. They're doing it in different ways. Their pre-snap formations are a little bit more, you know, tougher, I suppose, for opposing defenses to diagnose. Um, they're moving guys around a little bit more, uh, including Amari Cooper, tight end Jared Cook, uh, certainly, which I think is a big part of the reason for his success thus far. So uh, it just it just seems to be a, a tighter run operation. Uh, nobody questions the work ethic of this coaching staff. Uh, nobody questions that everybody's on the same page. And I think that is something early on that Raiders players would tell you they could just sense in terms of this coaching staff being ready and in unison at the very jump of the offseason. Right on. No, that's kind of cool to hear. Um, you know, because this team really, like that, the opening game, the Rams, I mean, uh, pardon me, the Rams, uh, Oakland hosted, you know, L.A. Rams at in in Oakland, and they came out, and I mean, it sounded. And I, granted, I only watched it from my living room, but this game, the passion, um, was definitely visible in this team, which is something I'm always sort of attracted to, and I think transcends well on a field. Um, can you talk a little bit? I mean, granted, they've not been able to finish these games until yesterday. But there's been two real close ones, and I really felt that the first game against the Rams was actually – it was really close had not been for Wade Phillips making some adjustments at the half for the Rams. No doubt. I think the Raiders showed early in the season that they can play with pretty much everybody. Uh, whether or not – you know, I think what separates uh, solid teams or good teams from the great ones, you know, the ones that are playing in the postseason are the teams that uh, can be consistent over the course of four quarters or consistent enough or to – position itself to win a game in the fourth quarter. And thus far, before certainly this past Sunday against the Cleveland Browns, a thrilling 45-42 overtime win, the Raiders really didn't show that they were that good in terms of being able to finish, which is understandable when you consider new coaching staff, new schemes. You look at cornerback Rashawn Melvin. He's learning a totally different way in terms of press coverage, you know, technique-wise. Uh, guys are just getting comfortable here. And so it's somewhat understandable that you'll see flashes uh, of, wow, you know, this operation is moving in the right direction, but also the moments of inconsistency that are the difference between a win and a loss, between a game that isn't finished and a game that is. So that, that's through the first three games. And we'll see whether or not the Raiders, again, have turned a corner after one game, but uh, after, certainly after the first three, that's kind of where the Raiders were, is that you had this embrace of a new start under John Gruden, a lot of veterans in this locker room, some of whom were grateful for the opportunity to even be on an NFL roster at this point in their careers. And, you know, learning new tech, you know, all that, just kind of coming together, finding its own energy, of like, okay, here we are. 
And then um, I think over the course of time, we're going to see whether or not they can be just more consistent. But there definitely is that passion, um, that that eagerness to prove oneself. You look at the way the Raiders have started games. They've been prepared um, through the, the first three games of the season. The Raiders scored on their opening possession, all three of them. Uh, and scoring on their first possession for the offense was something that they only did five times all of last season. And they did it weeks one, two, and three with two touchdowns and a field goal. Look at defensively, each and every game this season has started with a defensive three and out for the Raiders when they're first on defense. And so uh, I think you credit, um, you know, the preparation, you credit the players, you know, coaches, players alike. Um, but ultimately, what will define the 2018 Raiders is their ability to just play consistent football, to be scheme sound, and to prove that they can finish out games because. Uh, the coaching standpoint, you don't worry about. It's just about getting this roster to where it needs to be and everyone on track, kind of on the fly here in 2018. Nice. Okay. And then now uh, I, I do have to ask about Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns seem to also have made a big shift this season. You actually, I believe you were on Christmas Eve um, in Cleveland a few years ago when they got their last win. I was. I was. Can you, you know, how, yeah. I mean, I mean, is that, is that, is that a fair assumption or is that, I mean, as someone that was there and has seen it has been on the field while this game has been going on or in the, in the press box, can you see the difference in uh, the Cleveland Browns? I mean, because this was a, they, their, their defense really has stepped up. And then I think Baker Mayfield is, I mean, they made, this was a, this was a close game on Sunday. <clears throat> no, no doubt. The Browns are, they're a really interesting, exciting young team they've done an exemplary job of late of building through the draft and obviously the rounds have had a number of chances to hit on early round picks <laughs> and for years they really in pretty epic visible fashion just were unable to do so and it was bad i mean the carousel of quarterbacks the carousel of head coaches uh, different owners i mean it's just it was the, you know, the as low a tier as it gets in terms of the totem pole of NFL franchises, and you empathize with that fan base. And here we are, though, and they have certainly, uh, under their new guidance, you know, their general manager is fantastic from the Kansas City Chiefs. They've been able to just build. You look at that defensive line, you know, and yeah. it's it's stacked. And Jarvis and Landry. You look at, yeah, and, and Jarvis Landry at wide receiver, and it's it, it's the way I, I I think one of the more assuring things about their rebuild thus far is they added the quarterback last, so to speak. Where over the recent years, you know, they did through various picks, um, you know, they addressed their defense, they addressed their front seven, you know, they've kind of added some of those core pieces that you need, and then they didn't. You know, they didn't force the quarterback spot. You know, they, there were a couple of picks where they could have gone quarterback early. They didn't. And then when Baker Mayfield was there this season, you know, they pounced. And they, and they took him, and he looks awesome. His composure, I was truly impressed with him on Sunday. Just his composure in the pocket, uh, you don't see from a lot of quarterbacks, much less a quarterback on the road making his first career NFL start. It was almost like he welcomed contact. You know, he would just skim the pocket while a Raiders defensive lineman would bat a hand toward his helmet and just not lose sight of routes developing, 
uh, ahead of him. He'd still be working through his progression. He's athletic enough and strong enough to move around in the pocket. There were a couple times where the Raiders should have dragged him down. He didn't go down. He, you know, by extending those plays, he kind of kept the Raiders alive or kept the Browns alive. And so it was overall just a real impressive showing that I think is consistent with everything we've seen from Baker Mayfield to this point in his career, and that includes what he accomplished in college. Yeah, no, I agree. And and right there along with it, which I was going to ask if you did watch last night's game, is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he is in his second year, his fifth start, fifth NFL start and 5-0, and and the poise. Um, it's it's really awing to see it from young players. Um, but we're going to keep, we're going to shift it a little bit because, and I want to go back to also because I remember when Travis Benjamin became a, Los, a San Diego Charger, when I interviewed him, the first thing he said about being in San Diego was that he had Philip Rivers because he had been through 13 different quarterbacks since he was a Brown. So, uh, but now uh, matchup this weekend, uh, two and two LA Chargers are hosting the one and three Oakland Raiders this week at StubHub. And you have actually a really unique um, viewpoint. Granted, things change every year and there's been a lot of change for both of these organizations uh, but you've covered both of these teams as a beat reporter. Can you talk about the experience with this matchup from someone who has covered both sides? Yeah, it is interesting. It's pretty unusual. Um, last year, I know the first time, you know, the, uh, the, I knew the roster a little bit better than I would this year just because it's been another offseason of separation and just moves by Tom Telesco and Don Spanos. But um, you know so many of the Raiders, or of obviously the Raiders players, that's a beat. And so, um, they, but you know so many of the opponent as well, which is kind of the difference. And so uh, there was a game, Chargers-Raiders last fall in Oakland, Alameda County Coliseum. And it was just bizarre to have both teams, you know, there in one place. And then even at halftime, uh, it was kind of funny. The UC Davis marching band performed. <laughs> and UC Davis is my college alma mater. Uh-huh. So between the team I covered for seven years mm-hmm. as a San Diego native and then the Raiders and then my college band. It was just like, it was, it was bizarre. Um, and so it, 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 you watch a game differently because you don't just know the player's talent, you know, the personalities. And so, you know, watching Jalil dive, make a hit or Phillip rivers, the line of scrimmage, um, you kind of just know what it sounds like. You, you know, you've talked to them about different things that they've, they're doing in front of you. And obviously I know the Raiders well now, um, but it's it's just it's interesting uh, viewpoint, no doubt. And so I always look forward to the game. I need to look at the Chargers more closely going into this Sunday, just because they've changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm eager. It, it's a fun game to cover for me, just because I feel like I'm able to provide a pretty good perspective on the events, uh, given that I understand what's going on on both sides. Yeah, no, you definitely do. Now these teams, I mean, there's two, and there's two things, there's two storylines that kind of hit me first, and that's um, the connections. You obviously, well, actually, maybe three. Then Gus Bradley was under John Gruden at Tampa as the linebackers coach in 2006 through 2008, and um, Brendan Mabane and Marshawn Lynch played for Cal. They're both Cal Bears. They were drafted in the same year. They both are Super Bowl uh, champions with the Seattle Seahawks. And there's a lot of similarities, both playing on opposite sides of the ball. What are the storylines you're looking in uh, to this game coming up on Sunday? Um, that's a good question. I know it's so much about it is just for the Raiders to get a win somehow. And you look at the Chargers, even without Joey Bosa, John Gruden said something at his news conference on Monday that he anticipates Bosa will be back. 
I don't think yeah, I that, that is. No. Yeah, I don't know if that's. I, I haven't heard that elsewhere. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that Bosa is not back. Um, but uh, even without him, and without Hunter Henry, without Jason Verrett, you know, in true Chargers fashion, it, it, it's so sad and unfortunate that you know some of their best players uh, aren't able to showcase what they can do and, and help that team. Corey but, Legit, um, though, will be coming back. This will be Corey Legit's Corey first game. Yeah, which is yeah, going to be a big first game uh, from four game suspension. Yeah. And then um, Raiders have a cornerback as well who's coming back from four game suspension, Daryl Worley. So, um, but just it's such a stout team, and I think it's a really good test for a Raiders defense that has allowed more big plays than any other NFL team this season. You know, so Phillip Rivers, Keenan Allen, Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams, Antonio Gates, even though he's not a big play threat in the red zone or third down, his ability still to get open. Yeah, just, there's just so many weapons still. And so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Raiders can affect the quarterback. Philip is just so darn tough and gets rid of the ball just hand quick. And, um, you know, some of the route concept that they do, you know, it, it's fun to see Tyrell Williams evolve a little bit. Uh, and I, I think, yeah. You know, obviously he's he's not he's a second or third fiddle you know in that offense in the passing game, uh, but you see you know, before he was just a guy who could really only run crossing routes and he can go deep certainly, but like to see him fight for contested grabs that's something the Raiders or pardon me the Chargers wanted you know, from him early when they really call upon him after Keenan Allen went down uh, early as an undrafted rookie from Western Oregon just it was a lot to ask from him, but his ability um, was. Just fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think of his drafted rookie year or the second year when they really threw him in. It's been a while. My memory on Chargers has kind of faded a little <laughs> no, bit. No, you're doing good. But, you're doing really good. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, it's, it's, it's kind of fun, I guess, is to you know the personnel pretty well. Um, certainly when you're covering it, you know it very well. And then you don't watch them as much. And then you know, a couple times a year you see them and you see a guy like Tyrell Williams and, and notice his stride. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun experience because I don't, as a beat reporter, you don't, you don't, you know, you're not rooting for a team. And that can be sometimes a concept that is difficult for some to understand, but you, you don't root for the team. And the Raiders were 0-3, but I, you know, as a reporter, you're undefeated. You know, you don't win or lose based on what the team does. You know, you just focus on your job and cover the game as, as well as it is. And, but you do, that said, you do hope for the best for guys you don't like to see them get injured you know totally. you, you don't want to see them develop and just you know you, you like seeing guys get paid and you know you, you you develop some measure of relationship with the athletes you cover because they aren't just athletes they're people and so if you're going to cover sport or anything without building relationships with people not safe i'll stop short of saying friendships because you don't want to there's a line you don't want to cross but so you, you like to see certain guys do well. Um, and so, um, you know, Tyrell being one example, I, I could rattle off a bunch of others. Uh, Melvin Ingram has totally come to his own. Um, but it's, it's neat to see uh, player development when you step away from an organization. Yes, no, and it is. You, you made a point, and, that's, and I think people have a hard time because I root for people I know. The same thing, you know, kind of, you do. You root for people that you know and um, – to not get hurt and to have great games, uh, just as you would a friend, you know. But it is a fine line, um, and I root for the Trojans as well. So, but uh, <laughs> you know that. <laughs> now, um, this team, both also, there's a lot of parallels as well on the field because I think, I mean, Marshawn Lynch. I mean, it is astounding. I mean, I, I, 
that Rams game, um, it, when he carried in, I think, five different uh, linebackers um, of the Rams into the end zone, I mean, the power at 32 years old, he's you know, averaging 6.5 yards a carry, had 157 all-purpose yards last week. I mean, what is it like to cover? I mean, this this veteran is amazing. Um, you know, what's it like to cover him as well or to watch him watch him play? Or what is different about him that makes him so special? He, he runs differently. He runs differently than anybody I've ever seen. He, The way he not only absorbs contact, but the way he inflicts contact, it's a good thing the NFL here in the regular season. Obviously, the preseason was a different story. But here in the regular season, the NFL has shown no desire to call its lowering the helmet to yeah. <laughs> um, contact penalty. Um, because if they did, we look at Marshawn Lynch, the way he finishes runs. I mean, his helmet at times is parallel with the grass. I mean, he's dipping that head down and taking on contact and isn't the way you, you teach it. Uh, it's not the way that the NFL wants it, but it's the way Marshawn Lynch runs. And he just, he's, he's, he's like watching, a, it's like you go to a stadium, it's like you're in Pamplona watching a bull just run through people. Um, he, he just, just has this mentality of he's going to go through you. And when a safety is wrapped around his legs and the corner or linebacker jump on in, he doesn't think he's tackled yet. He, while protecting the football, which is really impressive, uh, finds a way to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, re, you know, adjust his body in, in different angles so that he's still staying upright and he still fights through it. And just, he, he's, there's just a relentlessness there that is rare. And you've heard since Sunday, Derek Carr and on Monday, John Gruden say that they believe Marshawn Lynch is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And I won't, you know, that's for other people to decide. I don't have a vote yet at this stage of my career. Um, I will say, I don't think this is part of, I'm pretty sure this is not part of the uh, voting process, but. If, uh, if anyone would be voted on behalf of just what an interesting speech it would be, uh, Marshawn Lynch would give a pretty intriguing speech in Canton, Ohio, upon being inducted. I'm, I'm, I'd be fascinated just to hear what that would sound like. Um, he's, 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 a, he's an interesting character on and off the field. Yeah, and he, I think he is misunderstood a lot as well. Uh, because, no doubt. You know, and which is a shame because I know he's constantly giving back and he always has – has gone back even when he was in Seattle to Oakland to help give back during the holidays and to those kids in the in the surrounding cities and even his old high school um you know now have you had the opportunity to meet or talk with Delton Edwards his former head coach when he was in high school um Not yet. Well, I don't talk to one of his coaches I don't know if I spoke to that one okay yeah, no, it's a, he's a, it, it was just, it's just really cool to hear different perspectives, especially with someone this um, special, you know. Uh, now, any, any comparisons, obviously not in the running game, but any comparisons to another running back that you followed or covered, a Ladanian Tomlinson? Marshawn Ladanian? Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're pretty different. Yeah, I um, know. I mean, total apples and oranges, but like all, both like so prolific on the field. No doubt. And I think they've both been a um, – I'm certainly Bledanian, um, and I think Marshawn as well, particularly when you consider how he runs. Both have been a, a model of consistency 
Um, you know exactly what you're getting out of Damian. You know exactly what you're getting out of Marshawn. They make defenders miss in very different ways. Uh, both are something of icons off the field where you saw Damian really look to extend his brand away from the game. Um, you know, sometimes for better or worse. I, I remember those commercials in San Diego weren't very good, and I believe, I believe there might have been a LT shuffle somewhere along the way. Um, but but Marshawn, he, he's you know, similar, and I think takes it to another level in terms of what he does off the field from a marketing standpoint, a business standpoint, Beast Mode Productions, Beast Mode Brand. Uh, he's got a store in Oakland. He's got a store now that just opened in Las Vegas. Uh, he's become more than just a arguable NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame back. He is a terrific businessman who has made a lot of money off of the field, which obviously is a credit to him and his team and you know, his intelligence. I mean, this is a smart, smart man um, who really deserves – I mean, he's, he's, he's earned every, every yard and, and every dollar he's gotten thus far. Wow. Yeah, he sounds even radder. Um, I'm excited for you that you get to do this, uh, continue to do your love. And uh, huge thanks, you know, and safe dry, safe travels out here. Um, will you be hooking up with anybody? Or you, I mean, obviously, it's a business trip. I hope to. I'm going to be flying down to San Diego. Usually I would fly down to L.A., just straight shot, take, cover the game on Sunday, you know, fly down Saturday, cover the game on Sunday, be back on Monday. Um, but given that it is Southern California and that is home, I'm going to leave on Friday evening and then see some family, including my grandfather who's in town from Italy, and then uh, nice. probably stop by my favorite Mexican food eatery in San Diego because I have a really hard time being You're in San still... Diego and not going there. I, okay, what I was, was going to ask you, do you find your burrito? There are so many great burrito spots in the, in the city, but not I don't know about in Oakland. I was going to ask you if you found one finally. I haven't, no. I mean, to be fair, I haven't really looked too hard. I, I just, when I'm in San Diego, I, I, I love to get certain Mexican food spots. And if I'm in San Francisco or Oakland, um, I don't seek out Mexican food. I, I worry that it'll just make me miss home. So I, I, I don't indulge in Mexican food too much. Although I'm, I do hear that the mission in San Francisco has incredible much incredible. Mexican food. So, and there's vegan yeah, options but, is there as well there. Uh, yeah, in those... I need to do a better job. I know we've, we've talked about this. Yes, yes, we have. I'm surprised. Okay. Well, safe travels, and um, and thank you so much for some time this week. Um, I re- really appreciate it, Michael. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. All right, you guys, if you uh, definitely want to follow Michael Gelkin on Twitter, and you'll be able to find his articles as well. Um, super, super rad guy. I'm grateful to to actually know um, from when he, before he was a beat writer uh, with the UT. So, all right, coming up next, I've got the Godfather from New York. I'm super excited to welcome Alex Corcoran. And this is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio. First downs and flip tricks. And I'm super excited to welcome New York City Mayor, um, friend of Frank, (laughs) Um, super amazing skateboarder, um, an icon in in New York and uh, an integral part in skateboarding for us. 
Mr. Alex Corcoran. Hello. How's it going? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Hello. Happy Tuesday. Oh, happy Tuesday. Uh, here I am, you know. <laughs> well, and I'm going to throw out one more thing. Is you've been coined the cutest member of the Turtleneck Crew via Don Brown. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the Turtleneck Crew. Holy shit. Don Brown really did that. Huh? He did. <laughs> I, I, I knew there was going to be surprises coming out of this. <laughs> Most of them oh, are all man. good. That was the only super fun one, <laughs> silly one. Of course, from Don Brown, right? Of course, Don Brown is the man. I gotta love that guy. Working for working for Soul Tuck was a, a one of the best adventures ever. It was so much fun. I mean, very very mind blowing, very inspiring. Don Brown, Pierre, everyone like Don, right down the head. Like they really like they they they're, they're a great inspiration. I was. I was very excited. They really took all like my information and my insights and let me live in the mini mansion, taking care of everything in New York and doing all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's cool. Now let's start though. Like, I mean, you born born and raised in New York City. Your parents are Dominican Republican. Um, you've, I mean, as a you've had a career as a professional skateboarder, as a consultant. I mean, pretty much in my mind, always also as the person that really made supreme what supreme is today um which yeah. is still gigantic um and it, obviously you're a, ginormous a, yes i mean it's crazy <laughs> i i'm always i'm like blown away i'm like how do you know about that <laughs> brand <laughs> you know yeah um, it, it's, it's pretty insane how that you know i mean i always say it from the beginning it's like we never thought that thing was gonna launch off like that i mean i was there pretty much in the beginning i left in 2004 to work for soltec but you know, I'm still part of the family from day one, but like all those years, like, you know, it's like, it, it was just it, like, I always call it, 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 Supreme was like our clubhouse, our playground for our friends to come over and hang out, do what they want while we manage the store, make sure everything was like hope aesthetic, make sure everything's clean, everything was selling, everything was great. And then, you know, in the middle, you could play. At the end, you play. You know, it was, it, was, it was the weirdest way to ever run a store because we, we, ran, we ran the shop so proper. And, like, you know, Supreme never really, like, especially in the very beginning, they never advertised anywhere. There's, it was just us. We were the advertising. We were the ones there, like, you know, wearing this bar logo. Because the T-shirt and sweatshirt, a gang of us, especially during the nineties, you know, a lot of us were like big skateboarders. A lot of people were like part of the art scene. A lot of people were part of the music scene. So it was just some the mix was crazy. The people that like, just trip out when they see us around, like they're like, who is this mixed bag of kids like running around with this bar logo and on their chest? Yeah, no, and and you know, and I want to also let's step back a little bit more too because. You grew up in Washington Heights in New York City. Um, you skateboarding was not cool in the community. I mean, sk- you know, back in that era, it was tough for anybody. Uh, can you talk about growing up though in Washington Heights, you know, and then becoming a skateboarder and sort of having, uh, you know, this was sort of a lonely road in essentially a beginning, correct? Yeah, totally, totally lonely road. Um, you know, I started because um, one of my best friends, Freddie Valerio. He was, um, he picked up a skateboard out of nowhere. I still don't remember how, like, he just figured it out. But 
I saw him, and I was like, I looked out the window. He lived on the second floor. I lived on the fourth floor, but my window was facing outside always. So it's like, I looked down. I was like, wait, you got a skateboard? I want a skateboard, too. And I ordered one, and uh, uh, where my first order was from Skates on Height from Mesa. And I just remember the minute I got my board, I, I, there was no looking back. And then uh, what was that it was board? kind of hard. Uh, Do you remember? I, a, I think I had Tony Hawk Bonite board. Okay, nice. <laughs> when when power was, it was testing all the wood and like putting that weird stuff in the middle. But um, but growing up in Washington Heights was, was hard because you know instead of like the people that lived on the block, it was just like all around. It was just like you know, everyone was like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you trying to be a white boy?" Like. Like, you know, almost like testing you constantly, like mentally. And, you know, and Washington Heights is that, you know, that's where it's the co-capital of the world at the time. And that's where you get all your weed. That's where all the drugs were, like, pretty much because I'm going to come from Jersey. And and from the downtown, they come get the good stuff, as they would say. And uh, it's just kind of hard. Going to high school was, was kind of a bitch, too, because everyone's like, what is this kid doing with his skateboard? And what the hell, you're Spanish kid. And I'm like, no, nah, I know, I'm from New York, though. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm original New Yorker. So it was kind of, it was, it was kind of hard. It was, I mean, lucky I had, like, all the people, like, from the neighborhood, and, like, you know, the gangs that, that were there at the time and the drug dealers that, like, really supported, though. I, I, at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of when I went out the, the, the circle of it that it got weird but overall it was great i mean i'm glad that that experience was really good because it made me headstrong and it made me not fall into that that dark hole where many of like friends i know like from back in the day fell into well and you i mean do you realize the impact you've had with so many people even ones you don't know i i'm Sometimes I I get so shy about it because I have no idea how many people I influence. Like, and when people tell me, I'm just like, "What?" I'm like, and I come back to Washington Heights, and people treat me like a whole time hero. I'm just like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 wait! How did this happen?" <laughs> like, for me, it's, it's, it's a blessing. I'm so stoked. I, you know, I once again, it's like anything else. Like, I just everything I do is out of the love of what I cared about, which is skateboarding, and that's what. That's what brought me, that, that's what brought my energy, of course, you know, the love of my parents, like, I, at the beginning, they didn't really back me, but, you know, they finally gave in, as all parents do, because they're parents, and, and I blessed, especially all my best friends that, that skated with me, and they, you know, we, we did it, and it became such a huge phenomenon, which we never thought that was going to be also. Yeah. Now, if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Alex Corcoran. Uh, he is a godfather. He's a mayor. He's paramount component to New York in the skateboarding scene, head of tourism and entertainments, a former pro skateboarder and a staple. Mr. Alex Corcoran, you can follow him on Instagram or on Twitter at peanut186. Is that correct for both? Yes. And, no, and uh, Instagram is uh, Alex Corcoran. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, I was giving out your other one, huh? No, uh, yeah. Yeah. So okay. Okay. On, oh, sorry. On, on Instagram, it's 
On Instagram, it's Peanut One Eight Six. Okay, and uh, on on Twitter, it's yeah. Alex Corbin. Okay. Yeah, All and right. so is on Facebook, it's Alex Corbin. Yeah. Uh, okay. Awesome. Now, um, okay, so I'm going to throw. Uh, we're going to throw a couple quotes. I, I've got I've got so much. There's so many amazing tears to you. Um, I wish, I wish, and maybe you can, when you come into town, we can have you in studio and we can do a big, long, long show with you. Um, there's so much that I want to hear more about you, but I'm going to throw off a a couple of quotes here. Um, Alex Corcoran. Wow. To me, one of the godfathers of New York skateboarding, you really are picking the OGs. And that was to me. (laughs) Although I didn't know Alex in the eighties personally, I did skate with him randomly at the banks. Then I formally met Alex in the early nineties at Supreme and eventually asked him to ride for Fibro in 1996. He was one of the oh, first boy. riders of the brand. He was deep, connected to the soul of the New York City skate scene, and always had just known everybody, everyone. And, <laughs> you right, Jesus? Yeah, yeah. And he was a guy who was fun to be around. The memories that stick out most to me with Alex are the early Fibro days when it was all beginning. The countless people he introduced me to over the years, the Etni, Soltech showroom years, parties, events, impromptu playdates with our kids at Union Square Playground, and to this day as a homie that's always willing to help out, contribute to any project I have going on. Fiber as a brand and myself as a New Yorker from New Jersey wouldn't be where we are without Alex. Much respect. Oh, thank you, Steve. He's awesome. I love Steve Ideas. I like that. That guy is the best, man. Like his energy, his passion of skateboarding has always made me smile. Like when I wrote for him, I was, I, I've never like had a frown. I was always like, Woo, this guy's getting me hyped. Him and Mark, him and Mark Nardelli, like, yeah. Like anytime we, we went anywhere, like on tour, like anything, like, so smile because it's high energy. Steve would, Steve's the kind of person that would like kind of, like, just the way he'll talk, he won't scream. He's just like, come on, come on, corporate. Let's do this. And you're like, oh, well, the owner of the company is doing it. Well, got to do it too. <laughs> it's like you're like pretty much forced to because you look and you're like, oh, Steve just did this giant wall ride, which he's known for. He's the, one of the biggest wall riders <laughs> in New York. And uh, yeah, no, he's uh, such a motivator and very uh, inspirational person. What was it like to be one of the first riders on Fibro? I mean, because I think of Fibro, I think of similar to Powell. I mean, where uh, so many, so many amazing skaters get their, have gotten their start. Yeah. I mean, Fibro, like, I, you know, so it's, it's, you're right. It's like, like everyone, it's like riding Powell. You, you nailed it in the head. Guess what? I didn't even think about it that way. It's like, yeah, it's like everyone that wrote for Fiber made it somehow and somewhere, no matter what. Like, they, like, like I said, Steve's such a more motivated that way. And um, he really, like, just made it happen for us and made it happen for everyone. So, like, that's, that's the best thing about Steve Rodriguez and Mark Nardelli because they were both, like, they, they really pushed you to the edge and made sure that, you know, you, you do your best, but without being, like, a nag. Yeah, no, and and if you, I look at the collection of riders for Fibro, and, and I don't want to get this to be about Fibro, but you were part of this, is that there is a very special, unique group of skaters that have had, that have ridden for Fibro, and they're all, I don't know, there's something really special about them. 
Um, so anyways, I'm just going to finish with that. And then I'm going to throw another one at you before you can take another breath is, uh, (laughs) the King of lower Manhattan park city historian, part black, Anthony Bourdain, full-time tour party spot guide, full-time tastemaker, full-time rad dad, full-blown New York city skate legend. And all the way uh, in all the way, New York, Every out-of-town skater who's ever visited New York has learned the ropes from Alex. Thank you, bro. That was from Pastris. Chris Ola. Pastris, my man. <laughs> Another one. Love. And, oh, wow. That's... <laughs> yeah, these guys are blowing me away. This is so beautiful. That's awesome. I, I, wow. Pastris. Shut days. 80s. Late 80s. I had glasses, casters had glasses, they would mix us up at the same time. <laughs> you know, back then you kind of almost dressed alike. Ah, oh, love Chris, man. I'm another one proud of what he's done with all his, his whole career has been amazing. I, I think that. Yes. No, Chris is great. And, but, but we're keeping the interview on you. I love Pastorus, but we're going to keep it on you. Um, I, you know, I wanted to show, I mean, I think you know how much you've impacted everyone, but it's kind of nice to share it with peers, I think, um, what friends say and think of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm blown away. Like, I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't so that's why we need to have you in studio, right? We need to capture this, the red face, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> Keep on, throw it. <laughs> keep on, keep it on. Well, I got two more to throw at you, um, but uh, let's see. We're gonna, I'm gonna sidestep here though, because let's talk about. Um, I mean, professional skateboarder. I mean, you, a consultant. You've done so much uh, for skateboarding. You are still continuing to do stuff for skateboarding. Yeah. But talk. I want to hear though, because there's something really special to me about my East Coast friends and my East Coast skate friends. Um, and that's all through the East Coast. There's a certain grit to it. Um, you know, they talk about it in football, you know, like that the West Coast teams are soft because the weather is easy here. The grit of uh, winter-worn cement and cold temperatures and not being able to skate or skating in, like, freezing temperatures uh, lends to something real special. Can you, can you speak about being a skater from New York? Well, we have to deal with, there's a, there's a lot about New York. It's just um, skating, being a skateboarder from New York. It's, you have to deal with the elements, obviously. You have to, you know, there's no real people like riding, like, you know, no, no one has cars and, you know, you have to skate everywhere and you have to deal with just traffic and people and just everything. So there's a lot about New York, and then it's like you know, there's distractions because like everything you could get everywhere, everywhere from New York. So like you could skate for half an hour, and then you meet somebody and like have like a early beverage, and then go somewhere else and bump into somebody and get lunch, and then go skate somewhere. It's like you know, you're never like you're old, like New York is always moving. You know, like more like the West Coast. Like you know, it's like you almost have to make a plan. Like we're going here to here, and because you have a car. No one's going to distract you. Like, New York is, like, not distracting in a bad way with New York. It's about there's so much going on and so much fun stuff, so much great things that it's just exciting. And that's something, like, I love taking people out when they're from the West Coast or from 
international waters. Like, if they come over here, we just have the best time because I love showing chaperoning people and be like, oh, let's do this. Let's be at the best restaurant. Let's fucking hang out here. Let's do that. Like, it's like something that's the beauty of New York. The weather is a tough one, definitely. I can't skate under 40 degrees somewhere back in the day. 20 <laughs> degrees, I'll do it. <laughs> Just hurts. Cement hurts when, it, when it's that cold because <laughs> your body's like not. Yeah. To, we used to skate this ramp yeah. in Reno and like it would seriously, it was freezing. I would be like bundled up and you would skate for like two hours and not get warmed up. Like, but then, right. but you're and you would still be cold and frigid. Um, it's a, give us a restaurant recommendation. I mean, I loved Vinny's, uh, parents restaurant or Vinny's family's restaurant oh, as well. Man. Uh, but give us a couple oh, of your favorite spots. Yeah. In New York right now. I, right now. Let me see. I totally miss Ponty's for sure. That's like, oh man. It's, it was, that family treated me like gold. I was like, felt like I was one of the Ponty's every time. But, um, right now my favorite is the, uh, Oof, man, there's so so much to eat around here. Until there's so much. I know Ribbon. that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> Blueberry sushi is always great. Uh, I love Dudley's. Dudley's is really good. Forget me not. Bakaru, which is on um, all the way in um, East Broadway. Bakaru is really good and owned by Alan and Kama. They have the awesome fried meatballs. Like if you're into that, amazing. But all the Italian dishes are. Amazing. Um, it's a La Esquina. La Esquina, well, you know, that, that never that never goes wrong. Uh, Epstein is just opened up right now. So, you know, the back to like, you want to just go like bar menu. Epstein's like rocking. Like they, they got a killer burger still and great chicken wings. Uh, yeah, man. no, there's, I, it's, I, I'm such a really loaded question because there's so many wonderful places to eat. So but. many, yeah. <laughs> I got, like, if, if you were to come here, I'd take you every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> to different places every time. And you'll be like, wow, but wow, but more wow, but wow. Also, my favorite right now, my, my Monday spot is sauce. Okay. Sauce is, uh, so that's where we find you on Mondays? Monday. Mondays, you find me at Sauce with this wonderful bartender named Chopper. Uh-huh. And also, like, the guy that runs the ship, like, he is the man on Mondays. Forget about it. Sauce, no matter what Mondays, you catch me there. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, um, I'm going to, I'm kind of going all over today, um, but I, I wanted to kind of keep it a little bit loose today with you. What was your first trick that was like the, like f yeah like i mean what were and you know what were those what was the first few tricks for you that really were like no this is it skateboarding um uh, i mean of course the ollie which that's where it starts all the all that's the foundation of everything yeah um but yeah just like kick flips and tray flips my first learned tray flip and that was like so excited. I was like, ah, I got it. And then, uh, you know, I was just more known for ollieing over high stuff. So that was like my main, I mean, thing. So like the ollie is something that, that stuck with me, you know, but all the other tricks came and they're, they're fun and you know, everything in skateboarding is super fun, but like seeing me doing all that stuff, that was like just ollieing over things and like being like, Oh dude, I just ollieed over like 
garbage can standing up, and I just went over this thing that's four feet. Like, I, I, I would get excited. That. It's like Steve Rodriguez's wall rise. Like, Steve Rodriguez's wall rise stuff, and then I'm just like, wow, he did that. <laughs> now, I've got another quote for you from Spencer. I met him when I was oh 12 years old in San Diego. I was on my first tour with Santa Cruz Skateboards. We linked again when I came to New York when I was about 19, and we became best of friends. We would skate all day and night and go to parties all in between and have the greatest time doing it. Al might have, have not been the best, but damn was he good. Alex has dedicated himself to skateboarding culture and is a crucial piece of New York skating. From getting the homies sponsors back in the day to skating for infamous fibro, infamous fibro and being in all the skate mags to managing Supreme and building the skate program there to running the Etni showroom to working with us at Elsinore and running skate night. Alex is and has been a staple in New York skating and nightlife for decades. <laughs> oh man. Boston for days, man. I'm sweating. You're sweating now. Okay, you went from blushing to sweating. Okay, that's the next step. Um, I, there's, you know, <laughs> that's a nah, good thing, man. I think. I, I know, man. Spencer, Talk about man. the friendships. Talk about the, the friendship, friendship skateboarding has given us to you. Uh, I think the friendship with skateboarding has the unity of, of, of people skateboarding and how we all suffered of not being cool and how we weren't. Like, like we were like looked down upon. It's like it's amazing how we stuck together. Where we like sharing like twenty five cents juice, or going to Burger King and sharing like little sodas and splitting your hamburgers and all that. And then, and the beauty of it is like all we did is look at each other as skateboarders. We didn't see race. We didn't see whether you're a girl, boy, or whatever. It's like we're just like we're always sharing and like. That was that was a great thing because like we we treated each other like brothers and sisters and like even the the girls that were part of the crew that photographed us like Hailey and Melissa like the, they documented something that was completely special especially like at least over here in New York that was insane Sam, Sammy Glutzman being such a young kid at the time like 12, 13 years old, hanging out with us. Like, um, we'd go Giovanni Retta, you know, and then like, Ted Newsom was out here. Michael Mealy flew out here. Like, there's so many great people like that really caught the essence of like, what friendship was in New York City and because of, of skateboarding because like, there's so many elements of everyone all together. You know, New York is something that brought people together. You know, whether you're in the club scene, the, you know, the, the, the hardcore scene, the punk scene, the house, house music, and skateboarding, BMX, like, go down the line. Like, everyone just joined together because mm-hmm. of the love of it and because of the energy and the positivity of what came out of it. And, of course, there's always the negativity because, like, abuse and, you know, like, in, you know, what people have, like, their internal stuff. But, like, Man, we held each other together. And I got to say that I know over 100 people that I still am in contact with for the past 30-something, 35, 36 years I've been skateboarding. And to say that, that that says a lot. Because I know people that cannot say that. They'd be like, oh, 
I've got one friend from junior high school, and I haven't seen nobody ever since. Like, we skateboarding has has brought people together so hard, and with no judgment, you know, is always taking care of each other. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really special um, community, and uh, you know, and I love the era. Like I. Me, it was like the early mid '90s is kind of when I really yeah. got into skating and um, when skateboarding was struggling. And just those relationships and the memories and the trips and I mean, couch tours and you know, like you're sharing, you know, sharing sandwiches, sharing hamburgers, you know, doing whatever you can uh, yeah. just to skate. Anything. You know, something real special. Anything to, get, anything to get up in the morning, like let's go skate. You yeah. know. Totally. That's it. And that's that's the best part, man. That's like, and I wish I wish more of the world, and thank thankfully that people like you do these podcasts and like get gets people like myself and Stephen Callis and everyone else that you interview like to hear us talk because like I don't think people really understand what the unity of skateboarding is, you know, and that's and that's what um trips me out sometimes I'm like I don't think you guys get it you know like you know to other people I'm like I don't think you guys don't get why we're such a tight-knit group and then why it's happening and why is it so cool now when it wasn't cool back then and we still struggled and still kept together and keep kept our heads together and dealt with all our little meltdowns personally but we helped out we helped out each other no matter what yeah no, and that's one thing. It's like there's a charity or there's a fundraiser and people and everybody gives. Everyone shares um, and yeah. does it for free and usually doesn't have the money. Some do, but most yeah. of us don't. And it's just a real it's just real special. Uh, I'm real grateful that um, I mean, it's it's the foundation of my life. So yeah, no, okay. that's the reason why I do skate night in NYC. It's like I do it for these kids are well, obviously they have to be 21 and over to be at any spot I do. But, you know, you, you always like kind of look at yourself. I look at myself and I'm like, Oh yeah, I mean, I get through stuff and I get all this stuff. But I'm like, all right, I don't need all this stuff. You know, I just kept on thinking like, what should I do? What should I do? And I'm like, Oh, let me do a skate night where it's like, we get different sponsors put skate videos on, do a foodie contest on top of that. So I'm feeding, making people work with the product and just having a good time together. And that's what skate night, that whole concept came through because it was just like about how I felt when I was young, it was about sharing and about giving back to the community. Cause like, that's what it, that's what it's about, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's what skate night is to me, you know, see these kids like I'll eat five burgers and I'll beat that other person, but there's still first, second and third place. So it's like, no matter what, everyone wins and stuff. Everyone walks out with something. And no. it's great to see that, you know, you got to show people, you got to work for it. It's like, you can't be like a lot of skaters now, the younger ones, which is kind of sad, like they feel like they're the privilege to get stuff. It's like, no, man, you got to work for it. You got to, you know, you, yeah, you could video game skate, but you have to like, you got to earn it. You got to like have a passion. Don't say like, you just video stuff on like, on your phone and say that you have a part. It's like, no, man, I remember, like, skating. Yeah, they're like, oh, man, I'm going to do the video part. <laughs> like, I have, to, I have to do it, and and it comes out two years later, you know? 
if you need to understand, you got to work for it. And that's kind of like day night for me. It's like you're giving back to the community, but they're working for it and they understand and they get to talk to me and they can see the passion. They can see why I made it and why, why I'm able to get all these sponsors for the past five years every time to like to sponsor my event. No. And, uh, that was, um, uh, I'm bummed. We lost. We lost Alex, and we're we've got we're pretty much run out of time as well. He might be calling back in just a moment. I do want to say, okay, so this skate night in New York City is giving back. He's giving back also, not just with food and with uh, and bringing in all these sponsors to help the kids, but he's also bringing back integrity um, to skateboarding, which has been the foundation for all of us and respect. Um, now, I do need to share with you guys one more thing. And that's a quick quote from Don Brown. Um, and he said, Alex is considered the mayor of New York City. He is the key to the city and the one of the raddest people in the world. They should replace the Statue of Liberty with a statue of Alex and make sure everyone cheers with chilled glass of vodka when passing by. So, and I want to thank, um, I want to thank, uh, obviously, Alex for uh, for his time uh, from New York calling in. Um, he's got, again, he's part of uh, Rockstar Bearings, Skate Night in New York, Elsinore, um, he's got some amazing things. You guys want to follow him on Instagram at peanut one eighty six, along with on Twitter at Alex Corcoran. This is the Desiree Show, and I want to thank again Michael Gelkin for his time. For you guys for tuning in, stay tuned for the ITL on the Desiree Show as well. And you guys have a dynamite week, and I'm out.